the catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we've been journeying our way through the Ten Commandments, perhaps we've begun to notice how countercultural the law of God really is. And it really is. We shouldn't fail to notice that. As we've mentioned many times in the last weeks, God gave the Ten Commandments with the purpose of having set us free, that we would learn how to live as a free people, free from the bonds of slavery or delusion that marked our old life and that still mark the world, the surrounding culture. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that the Ten Commandments themselves are also profoundly countercultural in a culture that is bound by death and darkness. They should be different. They should st- uh, stand out. And that is very, very true, particularly here with the fifth commandment, in which God calls us to honor our father and mother. And we live, particularly in our culture, in a day where youth is idolized uh, and set up as, as sort of the, the goal and glory of, of life where old age and and even middle age in our culture are viewed with contempt as that which is passé, that which is irrelevant and obsolete. That presents us with some, some real serious challenges as we think about the fifth commandment, because something at least of that cultural tendency probably also exists within our own hearts and minds as well. Uh, So when we hear a commandment like this, we ourselves might be inclined uh, from the outset to sort of dismiss it or hold it at arm's length. We agree that, yes, in theory, uh, we ought to honor our father and mother, and yet part of us feels that they don't understand the way the world is. They don't get how how things work. They don't know what we want. Uh, That's what our culture tells us. Young people should be uh, the source of wisdom for our culture, the source of direction for our culture. And, and you think of Hollywood movies, they only reinforce that, that belief. Uh, parents are, are always clueless and narrow-minded, and uh, they don't understand the way the world works, and they learn from their children uh, how, how the world really is. That's what the, these movies teach us. That makes it challenging when we think about the fifth commandment. Now, in addition to this, an, another factor, too, that also makes it challenging for us is that for many of us personally, when we hear this commandment, it takes us right back to a childhood that was not necessarily all that sweet, to parents that were not necessarily all that godly, and who may have even used these very words, honor your father and mother, to control or abuse or excuse their own sin. So we want to recognize we're up against some serious challenges here when we think about this commandment. Now that being said, we we also want to recognize, as we have with the other commandments, that God has given this to us for our good. That God has good purposes to give us life and to show us how to live as a people who are free and full of life. That's the place then that we want to begin as we think about this commandment, understanding God's purpose for having given this commandment. Uh, When we turn to the Word of God, we we very quickly discover uh, that the Bible has a a much less optimistic view of human nature than our culture does and perhaps than we ourselves do. 
Now, the, the Bible teaches us the human heart by nature is deeply fallen in sin, is bound up in, in foolishness, in pride, in delusion, and in sin. Now, you read the book of Proverbs, and this comes out so clearly. By nature, left to ourselves, we veer down a course that leads to death. We trust in our own wisdom. We follow delusions that exist in our minds. We stumble along in darkness. We're, we're sort of like animals exposed to snares and traps uh, on every side, uh, in which, without help, we are almost certain to fall. That's the basic premise, right, of the book of Proverbs. Leave a man or a child to himself, and he will stumble and fall and destroy himself. And so in this book of Proverbs, God calls fathers and mothers who know him and who fear him to, to intervene in the life of their child to save the life of their child. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And so what are parents to do? Parents are to teach, to correct, to instruct, to discipline, to do whatever they can to keep their child from dying, from leading himself on the path of death. They're to turn him away and lead him to life. And so the, really the book of Proverbs in large part is a plea on the part of a godly father to his son calling him, hear my instruction, listen to my wisdom, uh, and don't trust in your own heart. Listen to, to the one whom God has set over you. Uh, left to ourselves, uh, we will not become wise. People don't become wise automatically with age, uh, but rather sin uh, that is small simply becomes full-grown. Cute little toddler sins become very ugly, very evil adult sins. That's a very different premise, isn't it, than the one that the world teaches us, which is that people are inherently good, that children know what is best for themselves, uh, and that parents are clueless or inept. That's the voice of folly, and it writes the script for the movies that we typically see. So Scripture then paints for us two very different portraits that, especially in the book of Proverbs, it holds side by side for us to see uh, and to learn from. There's the picture of the world. We see it so clearly in our own culture, where everyone follows their own heart uh, and their own wisdom. They ignore the voice of instruction. They do what seems best to their mind, and they find themselves in a cycle of death that leads uh, constantly uh, to abuse and misery perpetuated from one generation on to the next. And then on the other side, there's a picture of wisdom, uh, which is uh, pictured as, as a multi-generational family. And you see that in Proverbs. The older are teaching the younger. The younger are listening to, to their elders. Uh, they're engaged with, with one another, uh, and they grow together through the years, through the generations. They grow in godliness and wisdom. Two very different portraits held side by side. And that's really what this commandment then is all about. It is God's call to you, to young people in particular, to listen to the voice of your elders, particularly your parents, whom God has placed in your life to lead you from sin and death to life and godliness. And children, I hope that you understand this then. Uh, what Proverbs teaches us, like we read in Proverbs 4, is that wisdom is the most precious gift you can ever possess. Right? It says, What's the beginning of wisdom? Get wisdom. Because by nature, you don't desire wisdom. But it teaches you this is the most important thing you could ever have. 
And God has given you your parents to give you that gift of wisdom if you're willing to be humble and listen to them. Uh, So don't just follow your own heart. Listen to the voice of God and to the voice of those who love God and are placed by God in your life for you. This is why, as the Apostle Paul reminds us when we get to Ephesians 6, that this is the first commandment that comes attached with a promise. Uh, It's not just do this because it's right, but do this so that in this way your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Now, when God first spoke those words, right, he spoke them through Moses to the people of Israel. They're about to go into the land of, of Canaan, the land of promise, But God still speaks that promise to children today. The land is not just Canaan, it's the whole earth. That's the promised land we look forward to, that God says, listen to your parents that you may live long in that land. So children, trust that God loves you and has given you your father and mother because he loves you. Uh, trust uh, that, that God wants you to, uh, to, to avoid the paths of death that come naturally to you and to follow in the path of life that doesn't come naturally to you. Now, the book of Proverbs gives us a few examples of what this looks like uh, practically, some of the paths that lead to death. We saw a few of them already in, in Proverbs 4. Uh, it has a lot to say about the adulteress, right? You read about this adulteress a lot. Uh, the, the forbidden woman who seduces young men, who captures them. And, of course, whenever it speaks of the adulteress, uh, it's, you, can, you can think of the correlating. It, it speaks to men, but you, you uh, extrapolate and apply accordingly uh, to, to women. So women, too, are to be watchful of, of the adulterer uh, who would seduce you, who would use you. Uh, has a lot to say about bad friends, right? Maybe you hear about that sometimes from your parents. Well, you hear about that in the book of Proverbs as well. Bad friends who invite you to join them in a life of, of sin and abusing and hurting others. You read chapter 1, verses 8 to 19. It's all about that. Avoid certain people. has a lot to say about teaching a son to work, uh, instilling a work ethic, guarding you from laziness, which will destroy you. There's a lot to say about our words, too. Uh, your parents teach you to say please and thank you, and that it's, it's a simple expressions of honor. Well, Proverbs teaches you a lot about your words, de-escalating conflicts, uh, avoiding fights, and, of course, much more can be added. All of these are pitfalls, snares that would seize us and, and lead us to ruin if we don't learn wisdom from primarily our parents. So you need to understand then that God is giving you this commandment for your good. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel like it's for your good. Uh, And the way of of wisdom won't always look like wisdom to our natural human eyes. God calls us to trust that it is wise, and you will see in due time how it is wise. Now you notice as well, um, the commandment, the fifth commandment, specifies that we are to honor both father and mother. You notice that, right? Honor your father and your mother. Uh, I want to speak here especially to young men, um, young men who are still in their parents' home. Uh, When we are children, we often tend to to fear and and respect our father more often, more easily than our mothers. Uh, That's maybe a general truth, not uh, one that applies across the board. But I'm sure some of you have heard this, this line from your mother, you just wait until your father gets home, right? You've all uh, heard that. Uh, there's something about our father, right, that we're, we're a little bit more uh, afraid of, we, we fear, we respect. 
But as you grow older and as God grows you in wisdom, you want to see to it that you honor God's call here to, to honor not just your father, but also your mother. Uh, young men, as long as you're under your parents' roof, you must honor your mother. Uh, even if you're already a strong young man, you feel independent, uh, you feel like you shouldn't have to listen to the voice of others anymore, uh, God has said, as long as you're there, you must honor and obey your father and mother. Uh, same with young ladies, too. This is the same principle applies. It's often easier to show respect to your father than it is to your own mother. Uh, but you are to respect your mother just as you do your father, to speak respectfully and honorably to her. And, and fathers, you must insist on this. You must instruct your children. You will honor and respect your mother. That should be one of the, the capital crimes, so to speak, in the home that, that lead to discipline immediately is disrespecting uh, your mother. Uh, your children, your teenage children in particular, must honor their mother for their good and, of course, for hers. So what does this mean then for parents? Well, if God's purpose then uh, in giving this commandment is to give us life uh, and freedom and joy to his children, uh, since they are, after all, his children before they are our children, then our calling as parents as well is to teach, to instruct and to lead, uh, to discipline as well, and to correct our children in the way of the Lord. It's what the Apostle Paul says, right, in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And what this means is that you as fathers are, are uh, called to be, uh, you're not called to be, as our culture teaches us, uh, their friend or their buddy, you are called to be their father, and mothers are called to be their mothers. It means you take seriously the deadly peril that your children are in if they are left to themselves, to their own wisdom, without your instruction and correction. It means you take uh, to heart the responsibility God has put uh, upon you, uh, and you are diligent to discipline and to shepherd your child's heart. And for parents, this really is the surest sign of love. How do you love your children? There's no clearer, more obvious way than instructing them in the way of the Lord. The love of a parent is different than the love of a friend or even the love of a mentor. Uh, it is a role you're called to hold that carries authority, uh, and you use it for the well-being of your children. It is a steadfast commitment that I will lead my child in the way of the Lord. And that also means then correcting and disciplining uh, for their good to keep them on the path of life and away from, from ruin and misery. Proverbs 13, verse 24, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And we do this uh, just as God himself, as our Father, disciplines and corrects us when we are wayward. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. So we take our model from the way the Lord shows his delight in us by disciplining us when we go astray. Now, the surest sign of a father who loves and delights in his children is when there's a willingness also to discipline. 
Now, of course, when Scripture speaks of discipline, it, it does not refer to punishing your children out of your own anger or your own frustration. That, of course, is, is not discipline at all. It is sin, uh, sin that we ourselves must repent of before God and, and sometimes before our children. Uh, but godly discipline must be done out of love precisely because we love our children and delight in them and don't want to see them go down the road that leads to death. Uh, Every godly father here, I'm sure, knows how hard that can be to not discipline out of anger and then when you need to discipline and don't feel like disciplining, to nonetheless do so, though it might break your heart to have to hurt for a time your your child. Discipline does hurt. Uh, It is designed to hurt. It must hurt. But the purpose of the pain is to save the life of the child, to restore the fellowship that is broken between father and son or mother and son uh, or daughter, uh, to restore the fellowship that's broken by sin. That's the purpose of discipline. Uh, we, we read earlier from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, and there we get a glimpse of what happens when a father refuses to discipline and correct his children. Uh, And there you you see especially the important role of discipline along with instruction and correction. Discipline must be there as well. See, Eli, he was willing to instruct his children and even correct them. Uh, You can read about that in chapter 1. Eli actually speaks to his sons, uh, showing them that they were doing wrong uh, and that this this is not the way they should act as priests. But he refused to discipline them. Uh, And because he refused, ultimately those sons went down the path of folly until it was really too late for Eli to do anything more about it, uh, too late to deliver them. And in the text that we read in chapter 2, you notice God takes Eli to task. God doesn't speak to Hophni and to Phinehas. He speaks to Eli. Uh, And listen to what he says to him, especially in verse 29. God says to Eli, why is it that you honor your sons above me? You honor your sons above me. See, Eli's refusal to discipline his sons, for whatever reason, we don't know him personally, maybe he was a pushover, Uh, maybe he was uh, too tender to them when they were little, uh, or afraid of them when they grew older, but his refusal to discipline them was ultimately setting them and their wishes above God. It was honoring them above God. Uh, And so just as children are to to obey their parents in the Lord, right? You see that in Ephesians uh, 6, obey your your parents in the Lord, so also parents are to raise their children in the Lord. And that means in obedience to the Lord. Uh, As parents, we raise our children not for ourselves. We raise them for the Lord. Uh, And if we cherish their approval above God's approval, We are dishonoring God. And that will ultimately, of course, lead to their death and and demise as well. Uh, And so in this this commandment, where children are called to honor their father and mother, fathers and mothers as well are called to raise their children as children of their heavenly father before they are children of their earthly father and mother. Now practically, a a few things that this means practically for us Number one, it means that your children are a blessing from God. Uh, We are to see our children as blessings from God. Psalm 127, verse 3, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Your children are a blessing, and perhaps we need to start by just thinking biblically 
about our children and not the way the world thinks about children. See, the world sees children as, as a burden. Uh, and so parents also then speak about their children as a burden uh, and raise them as a burden. Uh, look on social media. You see all the memes uh, from, from mothers who, who just want to get away from their children and enjoy a glass of wine or a bottle of wine or uh, however the, the memes go. That is not how we as Christians think about our children. God tells us they are a blessing. And so we want to make that prominent and even public as part of our witness to the world. We don't think the way the world thinks about the most precious earthly gift that God could give us. We give thanks for our children. Uh, we live with the sense that it is a privilege to have these children, God's children, in our homes uh, for the short time that God gives them. Receive that with thanksgiving and be thankful for it. Uh, number two, on the other hand, although our children are a blessing, we also recognize that, they are, uh, that we raise them not for ourselves, but for the Lord. They are His children far more than they are ours. That means, uh, for example, that we are not raising them as the world often does for our own sense of satisfaction or fulfillment. Uh, for example, to make us look good uh, or to make us feel good in front of others. No, they are our gift to God. They are a living sacrifice that we give to God. And so when we raise them, we, we do that with wisdom, being able to look past the toddler in his diapers uh, that, that might uh, make, us, make us laugh, make us feel good, but we look past that and we recognize uh, that we are raising the next generation of the church. We are raising future men, future women uh, who will lead God's kingdom. We, we raise them with a sense of perspective. And that, that, that will shape our priorities, right? Uh, our priority is not to raise outwardly moral children who happen to comply with their teachers at school and happen to comply with uh, the regulations or, or, or laws of the church. Uh, that's not our goal. We want to raise men and women who love the Lord God from the heart, who love his standard uh, and his word. Uh, we want children who are filled with the Spirit, uh, which God promises to work in them as we also uh, raise them in the fear of, of His name. Uh, thirdly, for, for parents, this also means that children are our responsibility in the first place. Uh, although the church has a responsibility, uh, and the schools, uh, as teachers will be entrusted with a responsibility, we as parents must have the first responsibility for our children. We do not hand them off to others to raise them, whether it's the government or schools or youth groups or whatever else. We are their first, uh, the, the, the first line of discipleship. Uh, and number four, then, lastly, for parents, we must lead by example. Uh, we are Christians discipling young Christians. And no one will have a greater understanding, uh, or excuse me, no one will have a greater influence on your child's understanding of the gospel than you will as parents. Uh, so they need to learn from you, not just what it's like to obey God, but also what it's like to confess your sins to God when you have failed to obey Him. What it means to repent what it means to pray and to cast your cares upon the Lord, to trust in His provision, to worship Him, uh, to serve others in love, or, or to show patience and kindness. They will learn these things first of, and foremost from you. As you're to lead them by example, as you proclaim like Joshua did uh, as head of his family, as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. There's a bit more we must say yet about this commandment. It's good for us to recognize when this commandment was given by Moses, uh, by God through Moses uh, at Mount Sinai, it was addressed not just to the children of the congregation. It doesn't specify children at the opening line of this commandment. It was just as much addressed to adults. Uh, And it, it doesn't only say obey your parents, which is what you might expect if it was primarily addressed to children, but it says honor your parents which is at least as relevant for adults. Uh, So this commandment teaches us not just to obey our parents during childhood, but also to honor them as they grow older. Uh, In ancient Israel, uh, parents would typically continue to work their whole life. They didn't have retirement at 65 like we do. Uh, And they would just work until they were just physically too old to work any longer. Uh, the very concept of retirement was, was very different uh, because even elderly parents, when they could no longer work, they'd stay in the home and they'd be raising and teaching uh, the next generation together with, with their children. Uh, but this meant that when they were finally unable to work, they could no longer bring in an income, parents would then become wholly entirely dependent on their children for their life and sustenance. Uh, And so when this commandment was given, honor your father and mother, that clearly implies caring for them and providing for them in their old age. Uh, When we were infants uh, and and little children, our parents made tremendous sacrifices for our well-being. They had to, to care for us and protect us when we were in a very vulnerable position. We needed them. We depended on them. Well, now as our parents grow older, God calls us to remember this that they've done for us and to now do the same for them. That's what it means to honor your father and mother in old age. Now, Paul teaches this very clearly in the New Testament as well. We read it in 1 Timothy 5, uh, where he, he writes about how to care uh, for, for, for widows. Uh, and he instructs the individual members of the church to see to it that they care for their parents. Uh, widows were not to be placed on the deacon's list uh, if they had children who were capable of caring for them. Uh, and Paul, Paul has some very strong words for children, that is, for, for adult uh, children. Uh, he says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, and the context is clearly for your parents, uh, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What that means, at least, is it, is it is a matter of basic Christianity, a basic evidence of the Spirit that each of us care for our elderly parents. In that context, we should probably say something, shouldn't we, about uh, retirement homes and old age homes. Now, the reality is that in our culture, these can be very easily the loneliest places on earth. Uh, and Christian old age homes are no exception to that rule. We need to acknowledge as a church that is not right. That is not God's design. Uh, If we look at other cultures, we very quickly realize uh, that that other cultures, even unbelievers, find it uh, appalling and and supremely ungrateful that that we treat our parents this way, that we consider it normal when they get older to to leave them off in some home far from their family, uh, sometimes all by themselves for 23 hours a day uh, or more. 
Uh, we, need to, we need to re-examine that within the church as well. Uh, we are the family of God. We are the model for the world, uh, a beacon of light. And in this sense, we don't shine that light very well. It may be true that these homes provide uh, places that can provide better medical or physical care for our parents. Uh, Perhaps we can thus extend their life by a few years. Uh, But surely we in the church understand that there's more to life than simply extending it as long as possible. Uh, Surely we ourselves, we would hope for better things ourselves. This is, beginning, this is beginning to change. You see this change slowly happening in the church, and we can give thanks for that. More and more families are you know, building en-suites or uh, providing other solutions. You know, in most other parts of the world, elderly parents are simply received right into the home. They are loved and cherished as members of the immediate family. Uh, they're enjoyed by their children or sometimes grandchildren or great-grandchildren as, uh, as uh, mentors, as friends, uh, as a source of wisdom. Well, surely that's a lot closer to God's design. If we recognize that the care that we provide for our families is not just physical, it's not just financial, it must also be spiritual. God's design for the home is a multi-generational home. And so we need to see retirements, if anything, excuse me, retirement homes, if anything, as at least a last resort, not one that we automatically assume this would be the clearest solution. Uh, And and if it comes, if that is the solution, it should be one that comes at great personal cost uh, with with daily or twice daily visits or phone calls. Uh, We we do not leave retirement homes as dumping grounds for for our parents. Uh, Surely we can recognize that's not God's design. Now, figuring that out practically, that takes wisdom. Uh, It takes balancing different needs, physical, medical, uh, spiritual Uh, But it also takes a willingness to follow God's lead here and to bear certain burdens that, yes, are hard to bear, but they are given by God for us to to bear. Now, finally, we'll close on this one last point. When this is spoken to to the people of Israel, including the adults, many of them would have understood uh, the challenges that lay in honoring your parents, particularly because they're sinners. How do we honor dishonorable fathers and mothers. And for many of us, that's the reality that we're dealing with. Although God calls us to honor father and mother and we want to follow that that call, we might find it difficult or even impossible to to do that, to love them as as we we wish to. How do you you navigate that? Well, in the first place, uh, we start with the gospel, right? We must examine our hearts in light of the grace of the gospel. Are we responding out of the grace that God has first shown us? Are we mindful of our own sins and failures, our own unworthiness of God's love? As Scripture teaches, it is a glory to overlook an offense. It's Proverbs 19.11. And the gospel really, really brings that truth out as we see how God overlooked all of our offenses in Christ. He forgave us and he restored us even while we were still his enemies. So we, we must be humble and we must examine our own hearts in this, whether we, in the first place, are truly living out of the grace of the gospel. Uh, with respect to our parents, this means bearing with weaknesses and shortcomings. That's what the catechism brings out, uh, that, that we have patience with their shortcomings and weaknesses because it's God's, God's will to govern us by their hand. Well, children, you need to recognize this. It's good for you to learn this sooner than later. Your, your parents are, are sinners. 
uh, you will find that more and more your parents are also sinners who you will be called from time to time to forgive and to bear with because of their sins. Uh, God has, has placed them over you for their good, and that means for you, you want to be patient. You recognize they're not perfect, but they are seeking to follow God's will. Uh, secondly, we're also called to forgive. As, as Christians, we're called to forgive our parents for sins that they have committed. If, if they have not shown yet repentance, uh, that presents a, a unique challenge of its, of its own. But we're still, nonetheless, even so, to have that heart of forgiveness, uh, the, the, the desire to forgive, to show love and mercy as God does to us. And if God grants the gift of repentance, we must be the first and the most eager to forgive. And for ourselves, then, that means we have to guard our own hearts against bitterness. Bitterness only ever leads to death. We are called to be filled with the Spirit, and, and with the Spirit comes a knowledge of the gospel of grace. It's often been noted that children who grow up bitter against their parents, who grow up angry, refusing to forgive, they often develop a sort of target fixation, just like when you're driving. Your, your driving instructor tells you, don't look at the tree on the side of the road because that's where you'll end up driving. Children who grow up fixated upon their parents' failures and sins will very often end up repeating exactly the same sins over again. Well, the gospel calls us to fix our eyes on the grace of God in Christ, on the mercy of God by which we ourselves were delivered from the empty and futile ways inherited from our forefathers, 1 Peter uh, chapter, chapter 1. We are to be a new people, God's children in this world. Now, thirdly, lastly, even when we're dealing with parents then who have shown themselves dishonorable, we are nonetheless in this commandment still called to honor them uh, for the position that they have as placed by God uh, and, and for the honorable name that they bear as father and mother. That's the name God uses for himself, uh, our father. It's an honorable name, even if the person who fills that role might not be an honorable person. Uh, but by honoring them, we're showing our honor for God. It's what soldiers in the military call saluting the uniform. If you can't salute the man who's in the uniform, at least salute the uniform. Uh, we are still called to speak about our parents then honorably. We don't go around gossiping. We don't go sharing their, their sins with others. Uh, we, we want them to be honored, and we want to act towards them in honorable ways. Uh, that, of course, means when we're still under their authority, uh, if that authority is being abused, part of saluting the uniform, honoring God uh, and the system God has, has used, also means recognizing there are higher authorities above them. Uh, this commandment means you submit to uh, police officers, you submit to elders of the church, and when authority is out of line, there are places that you, you can go and should uh, go uh, to, to, to receive help. No one's authority is absolute, and parents, too, must submit to the leadership of the church and the leadership of the state. Uh, and finally, we, we are to remember that we have a heavenly father, right? This is, this is the message of the gospel. You have a perfect father. Every father on earth is evil uh, relative to, to God. Our hearts are still filled with evil, but we have a new and perfect father through Christ. We have a new family as well here on earth. Uh, our, our immediate br blood brothers and sisters are not our closest family, but rather the family of God uh, of which we form a part. Uh, and so we look to Christ. We look to his obedience, to his and our 
Heavenly Father, and we want to learn more and more than what it means for us to be, like Christ, children of God in this world. Amen.